This is ABC Radio Overnights with Rod Quinn, and what a delight it is to, well, not welcome back because she hasn't been away, but I have, uh, Celeste Katz Marston in Boston, Massachusetts. Hello, Celeste. Hello, it's great to hear your voice again. Oh, it's lovely to be here. It's lovely to be here, Celeste. Um, look, look, you know, I, I, as much as I love the movie I was just talking about, 10 Things I Hate About You, one of the films I love most in the world is All the President's Men. And, like, there are just so many lines in that film that our family quote to all the time. And that really got me into G. Gordon Liddy. And when it comes down to it, a lot of people... And I still don't think anyone knows exactly why the Watergate, the Democrats were bugged by the Republicans at the Watergate in 1972. But he was the bloke who organised it, basically, and uh, he's died at the age of 90. Yeah, that's right. He was sort of a, a very pivotal figure in the Watergate scandal that ended up bringing down uh, President Richard Nixon. And so he has a, sort of a place in the pantheon or the, the rogues gallery of uh, political corruption in the United States. Uh, lived lived a very long and colorful life, that's for sure. And former guest here on the Overnights program, we talked to him once. Wow. Uh, because his theory was that, oh, yeah, they were bugging them to find out about some call girl ring involving John Dean's wife, which, I mean, there's a lot of theories about why they bugged the Democratic headquarters, but I don't think anyone has ever come up with a, you know, logical reason. And he was a bloke who had to put together the budget for it and read his book, Will. It's one of the great political autobiographies. And I felt so sorry for him because he had a certain budget. And it was just not enough to bug that. Headquarters. He was getting money from everywhere to do it. It's it's a very funny guy, but they described him as a mastermind, and it was a total shambles that ended up with the president resigning. Like, how could you be the mastermind of something like that? Yeah, I think that he was referred to as a political klutz, uh, which which uh, is not flattering, but maybe fair. And the whole thing just obviously, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, just sort of went down the tubes and a lot of people ended up getting implicated. Obviously, uh, everything was traced back to the White House, to the Oval Office, and uh, it it did not go well. I love because yeah, he's in the uh, the Howard Johnsons. He's in the motel across the road watching the burglars go about their work. And then, you know, the the police arrive, they bust the burglars, but he's across the road with the legendary Howard Hunt, one of the blokes who organised the Kennedy assassination, and they realise the blokes have been arrested. He then goes home to his wife. This is brilliant. He gets into bed. She says, what happened? He goes, oh, it went wrong. I'll probably be going to jail. And then turned over and went to sleep. <laughs> it was just, what a guy. What a <laughs> he, he wasn't wrong. He did go to jail. He did. And, uh, you know... He went to jail for longer than anyone else involved in the Watergate scandal. Uh, and he was willing to die. He said, just tell me what corner you want me to stand on if you want me to be shot. I mean, it's just, he, was a, he, was a, he, was, he was a weird bloke. But uh, I strongly urge people to read his book. Um, he's a kind of comical figure, sadly. What is not comical is what is going on in the US. And that is finally the trial of Derek Chauvin, who is the policeman uh, charged with the death of George Floyd. So what have we seen in the trial so far? Yeah, we've seen the the opening statements and we're starting to hear from 
<clears throat> pardon me again. Uh, we're starting to hear from witnesses in the case, and uh, the jury has seen some of the unfortunately very graphic and very, very upsetting footage of that uh, that more than nine minutes where uh, Mr. Floyd was pinned on the ground with uh, Chauvin's knee on his neck, uh, saying that he can't breathe, uh, crying out for his mother, uh, pleading with the police not to kill him. And uh, some of the witnesses have become uh, understandably, I think, you know, very emotional during the proceedings. But um, we're starting to hear some of those accounts and uh, hear some of the, you know, uh, the defenses that Chauvin gave at the time, which was basically saying, well, he's a big guy and he's probably on something. So we need to get him under control. And we're hearing about, uh, you know, other officers basically questioning or challenging Chauvin saying, look, I can't find a pulse on this guy. Maybe we should do something. But, um, you know, the, the entire thing sort of laid bare. And, and as you know, these uh, this incident, which was back in uh, May of 2020, gave rise to an incredible number of of demonstrations and and protests throughout the United States about uh, about police brutality. There were a lot of protests. Generally, they were peaceful protests until sometimes some of them got out of hand. I remember, and I'm sure, I'm not wishing to embarrass you, uh, Celeste, but you're old enough to remember the Rodney King case of 25 years ago. I am. You know, like LA went up in flames when we saw that verdict. What happens if this policeman is found not guilty? What, how is the U.S. going to react? And how does the president say anything to calm people? You know, I've been thinking about that. And honest to God, I don't know what happens. I, I, I don't. I mean, look, everybody is entitled. Everyone who's accused of a crime uh, is entitled to a a fair trial. And uh, Derek Chauvin, like anybody else, should get a fair trial. Um, What will happen if he is not convicted based on uh, especially the video evidence of which everybody has seen and can judge from for themselves and many, many multiple accounts of witnesses? I don't know what happens, but I'm frankly, very concerned about it. I I don't think this country is going to look uh, favorably or, frankly, calmly on a a not guilty verdict in this case. What happens if there's a guilty verdict? Because there are just as many, well, no, there wouldn't be just as many people. There would be some people who would see that as an outrage and might take to the streets themselves. Sure. I mean, whatever happens, not everybody's going to be happy. But I think that based on, you know, based on the way the justice systems works works in this country, hopefully the proceeding will go along in a smooth and um, and reasonable way and people will be able to see and people are able to watch a lot of these proceedings. Uh, some of the video footage, frankly, they have not been caring uh, for the public to see because it is extremely graphic. Uh, I don't know if I agree with that decision necessarily, but... Um, you know, this is not something that's happening in secret. This is not some sort of star chamber type of trial or uh, people are able to witness it for themselves. And uh, just like with every big case, you know, there are going to be people who are not happy, but uh, at least people have the benefit of being able to follow the trial, not only through uh, news media accounts, as, as would generally be the case, but watching the testimony for themselves. Hopefully that'll bring some measure of, of, uh, uh, consolation or understanding, either mm. way. 
I mean, this is something that we just don't really have in Australia at all, and that is TV coverage of trials. Uh, I presume it's live all day and anyone can watch it. Is that right? Yeah, you can watch it streaming on any number of channels. Uh, a lot of news outlets are having uh, sort of live blog, real-time updates about the proceedings. So you can check in on those, you can catch up, you can watch social media and so on. But yeah, there is generally, um, you know, very wide access to to the proceedings. So people can watch it in sort of an unfiltered way if they want to, or they can follow up afterwards through uh, through news media. Because a trial is actually rather dull. Uh, you know, you see the highlights on TV perhaps or read about it or the newspaper or online. There's a lot of backwards and forwards and, you know, legal chit-chat, you know, that it actually is rather dull to watch a, a whole trial unfold in real time, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, having covered trials, having um, served on a jury, you know, a lot of it is very technical, uh, a lot of the points of law are very technical. They're not dramatic. It's not flamboyant. It's not exciting. It's not fireworks. It's it's the law. And it, it should be that way. I mean, it's not a, this is not for entertainment. This is for justice. And so, yeah, but watching it for hours and hours at a time. But I think that there are people who are watching wall-to-wall -wall coverage or watching the proceedings directly because this has been such a, a watershed moment in uh, in U.S. history. What do we know about the judge? I mean, one of the things they said about the the O.J. Simpson case, of course, was the the case went on too long, uh, and the judge kind of lost control of it. I mean, do we expect this to go on for a long time? This trial, and you know, do you have confidence in the judge? Well, I mean, I'm not I'm not gonna you know uh, give a verdict myself on on the judge. So far, we have not seen. Um, I have not seen any major issues. I think people are much more focused on the witness testimony and uh, what the defense, if any, will be. Um, and, uh, you know, some of the expert witnesses weighing in, I'm sure, to to try to undermine the uh, the case of the prosecution as well. Yes, uh, it's getting reported every day here as well. So uh, we will see what happens with the George Floyd case. Celeste Katz-Marston is our guest in Boston. Now, again... I mean, your rollout of various vaccines uh, seems to be going better than ours, or at least a little faster than ours. Maybe there's more need for it because the, the cases of COVID aren't that many in Australia, whereas there's still tens of thousands, millions in the US. And we've got the Pfizer, we've got the AstraZeneca. Then there was the Johnson & Johnson, which was a one-shot vaccine rather than the two. Uh, things are not going well, though, with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Yeah, there was a there was a production problem at one of the facilities that's contracting for Johnson and Johnson, where they basically screwed up 15 million doses of the vaccine. They mixed it with uh, some stuff that was supposed to go into another shot, and so they sort of bungled that. And um, the shots that are uh, out in the system. <clears throat> Pardon me again. Uh, the shots that are out in the system are okay, from what we understand. But you know, obviously, this is something that's of a concern in the production cycle. And now there are some uh, there's some information coming out about concerns about this manufacturing facility uh, and the, the company itself and uh, you know whether they've done uh, uh, the proper things to be up to standards of cleanliness and of safety and so on. So not really looking, especially now that we're starting to see some resurgence again uh, of coronavirus in the United States, not something we want to see and certainly not something that the Biden administration 
administration wants to see when they have made a pledge to uh, try to get pretty much all adults in the United States vaccinated in the first 100 days of the administration, or at least by by May. And people are getting vaccinated. I'm happy to report I myself am now fully vaccinated. Really? You've had both? uh, I have had both. Uh, yeah, I actually ended up getting the uh, the Moderna vaccine. Okay. So how did it work? Uh, so, I mean, how here you've got to I mean, sign up with your doctor and all that sort of stuff. Or, you know, there are various things you go online and add your name to it and all that. How did it work? How did it feel? And how do you feel now? Uh, well, basically what you had to do here is you could go on a website that was run by the, the state, or in this case, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And then from there, if you put in where you live, you could uh, go to a bunch of places that uh, would have the vaccine and you just had to keep hunting. It was it was a process to keep refreshing and going through answering questionnaire and then getting to the end and having them say there were no doses available or try try again later and so on. But finally was able to get it through a, a local pharmacy. Um, and I have to say it went very smoothly. They scheduled both doses at the same time, about a month apart. Um, got the first dose, came back about 30 days later. Um, mild, I would say mild side effects, you know, uh, something of a fever, felt a little exhausted, but nothing at all radical and uh, very relieved to have gotten the vaccine. And uh, I know in other states, uh, originally uh, throughout the United States, the vaccine was reserved for frontline healthcare workers, older people, people who are very sick with chronic illnesses, and now it's really opening up. So uh, from my observation, uh, the vaccine program is going fairly smoothly. Still frustrating for some people to to get signed up, but uh, it is moving along. And how did you feel? You didn't have any, you know, side effects or after effects? I felt a little lousy after the second dose. I had a fever, maybe 101 or so on, took some Tylenol, was yeah. was fine, just sort of, uh, you know, hung out that day, didn't do any heavy lifting, right. but okay. uh, yeah, certainly not, not anything at all to uh, dissuade anybody from getting the vaccine. Celeste is with us in Boston. A couple of text messages. Uh, Reese in Narara says, uh, the protests I saw on this issue certainly were not peaceful, far from it. What's your reaction to that, Celeste? Well, I mean, I would say that from my personal observation, and there were protests uh, here in Boston, uh, in Massachusetts, um, there were some people that got into these crowds. For example, um, around that time, there were mass protests in Boston that were largely peaceful. But at the same time, some people got in there, broke windows, uh, did some graffiti, set some fires. I think that anytime you have a large gathering of people, um, you know, including at night and so on, there are going to be troublemakers in there. There are going to be people who take advantage of a crowd situation to um, to pull some nonsense or to get to get violent to to do things that are not appropriate. But I would not say the entire protest movement by any means was motivated by a desire to do violence or to engage in in disruptive activities. Protests sometimes get unruly or sometimes protesters uh, and the police, you know, get into it. They don't have the same goals. But uh, I would not say from my personal observation and from what I have read that um, the protest movement in general uh, that was sparked by the the death of George Floyd was uh, was a violent protest Mm -hmm. movement. There weren't people carrying tiki torches shouting Jews will not replace us, for example, in the Black Lives Matter 
protests. I did not hear any of that. Uh, didn't. Hmm. Uh, all righty. Um, uh, GP says, Gordon Liddy starting one of my favourite episodes of Miami Vice as a larger-than-life <laughs> but unscrupulous military mercenary who ironically and self-mockingly gets away with, with his crimes, at least in the show. Yeah, I think he was in an episode of the A-Team as well, I saw, or um, what was that other one? MacGyver. He might have been in an episode of MacGyver. <laughs> he uh, did say he had a taste for playing villains, well, so he was, was able to live that one out. There's also this bizarre story that he reckoned he could kill someone with a pencil, and he then went into John Dean's office at one point, and he, he was sent there, and he didn't know whether he was sent there with tacit instruction. They didn't want to mention, oh, we want you to kill John Dean, who was you know, giving evidence against Nixon. And he sort of, he said, I scanned the room for a pencil just in case they left me a pencil there. I could kill John Dean with a pencil. It was a bizarre. Um, he's a very strange character. I mean, not to be admired in many ways, but again, his book, Will, is hilarious. Especially, I mean, this is another, this is Gordon Liddy for you. He, when he was in prison, he went to prison, of course, for his role in Watergate. Uh, he, you know, he didn't, he didn't like having to share toilets, bathrooms, right? So he put a sign on one of the toilets, on the toilet door, saying, this toilet is only for people suffering venereal disease. And, of course, everybody else kept away from that toilet. He had it to himself. Um, now, sorry, this is a sad story. This is a tragic story in so many ways. And people would have seen the footage of a man uh, who uh, attacked an Asian woman in New York City the man had earlier killed his mother. He was homeless. Uh, I think obviously he had mental health issues. Uh, it's just an awful, awful story. It's not on so many levels. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, a lot of people are watching the story, not because, not only because the graphic uh, footage is really horrific, but, I mean, this woman was beaten right in front of a, a building in, in New York City, and the really, one of the really distressing parts about it was that uh, a number of building workers, security guards or, or doormen, whatever they may have been, observed this and closed the door on her closed the door to, you know, sort of uh, shut off, shut off what was going outside from the building. And, and it's just appalling. Um, you know, mm -hmm. recently I've written about bystander intervention. And uh, the one thing you should not do, even if you're trying to be super careful and safe, is just ignore it. Just pretend it didn't happen. Walk away. And, you know, the United States, unfortunately, has experienced a spate of um, anti-Asian American uh, bias incidents, hate crimes, or things that can't be characterized formally as that, but um, attacks on Asian people, including uh, older people. Um, probably, you know, some of this obviously connected with the uh, the coronavirus pandemic. And so um, this incident has just sort of really highlighted what's been going on in the United States in that regard. It, and it, it really is tragic and disturbing, and I hope yeah. that people are aware of it. And finally, what's the Boston Globe doing? This is a strange kind of story, and I wonder whether it will spread to other newspapers and, and news organisations throughout the world. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting in, in terms of watching what local media is doing. And full disclosure, I have uh, reported for the Boston Globe in the past, but um, 
they have a program now called Fresh Start, which is that if your name appeared in the newspaper in the past for uh, in some sort of unflattering way, like maybe you were arrested or you did something years ago that you're embarrassed about, you know, typically um, in the old days before the Internet, these things would be in the past and maybe somebody could go and dig it up in the library or something like that. But uh, now with the Internet, these things are uh, live on forever and they're readily accessible. So uh, what the Boston Globe is doing is they're setting up a program where you can appeal your appearance, uh, obviously not in the print newspapers of the past, but uh, your online presence. And you can explain why you would like that reference to uh, your name and your history to be removed from uh, from the uh, online accessible materials in the newspaper. And they're saying, you know, we're, we're not going to agree to this in every case, but if you can provide a valid reason why uh, this should not be part of your permanent digital footprint, we will consider it. Wow. And some people are saying that's, that's really a fair thing to do, given how the technology has changed. And some people call it revisionist history. So kind of an interesting debate there. Hmm. I wonder whether others will uh, follow in their footsteps. Celeste, thank you very much for that. Uh, stay safe, uh, stay well over the next couple of weeks. We'll talk to you in a fortnight. Always a pleasure. I'm glad to have you back. Uh, thank you very much, Celeste Katz-Marston in Boston in the 